I doubt that anyone in this audience this morning has heard of Rutgers Presbyterian Church, located in Upper West Manhattan. This is a place called a church. Please listen to what it says. The headline by the New York newspaper, a congregation that is united by a cause, not by faith. Then it goes on to say, in the headlines, we're being told of a congregation that is united in political cause rather than any kind of theological conviction. The story looks interesting, says the writer. This is a reporter reporting what goes on in this place called a church. I guarantee you it is interesting. The, the church goes on to say this is a woman who is an atheist, said. Her name is, is, is Valerie McCarthy, who sat among the congregation listening to a sermon. This is the sermon that Sunday she went in. The perils of genetically modified vegetables. I'll re repeat it because I don't know if you got it. The Sunday of that ministry, no, that meeting, the perils of genetically modified vegetables. This is what an atheist said. An atheist went in and found the service very stimulating. <laughs> Typically, a congregation connective issue is an embrace of shared faith. But at Rutgers, a relatively small church in Upper West Side of Manhattan has rejected that. Sharing a belief in God, any God, isn't necessary. It is by social justice effort, activism, against climate change, meal programs for the homeless, and a task to force help for refugees' families. That's the church. And, and, and friends, if you wanted to come here this morning to hear that, you stay home and watch television. That, that's, where it would, that's where they would get it from. But, but God says that his people come together for the purpose of hearing from him in order that they might know how to live effectively in a world like that and to be distinct from what is called a church by man today rather than by, by what a church is known as. And so out of this, and by the way, I had finished my studies before I heard that. So it came in a very nice introduction for this morning's message. Because my message this morning is, a, and by the way, I'm not going to try and preach it all this morning. Because it would not be fair. I'll be running at the second part, and I know I will not get it done. So I'm doing it in two parts. One part this morning, our purpose. Why does Sodaville Evangelical Church exist? What are we all about? 
Thank you. <laughs> Why do we leave our homes? If someone stopped you this morning on the way here and said, where are you going? And you said, I'm going to church. And they said, why? What would you say to them? I would trust that, as was said a few minutes ago, you're going to worship. And, and then they're, they're going to ask the question, what is worship? And then you probably hum and haw and, 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 and try to find some suitable expression. And I want to answer that question this morning. And that's why I'm going to deal only with the first part of this message. I, I, I came to that conclusion Thursday morning when I was studying that I'm just going to take the first part. What is our purpose? What is our purpose? Every university, every business has a purpose why they exist. And I want to suggest to you that the purpose of the church is not man's idea as to how to exist, but God's intervention into human history as to why we exist. It isn't something having to do with how we develop a philosophy by which we can deal with climate change and how, what we can deal with refugee families. Those things might be important, but those things are not the spurring, not the energy, not the engine that, that drives the church of Jesus Christ. The word church comes from a word which can be applied to any kind of gathering, but in the Bible, the word church comes from a word ecclesia, which means to call out, to call out. When Jesus talks of the word, he's talking in, in John 17, he's calling his church together and he's calling people out of a world system, out of a world philosophy. And he is going to replace them back to the world as new people, as new creatures who are now relating life to God, to Christ and biblical, biblical teachings. You will see what I mean by that in a moment. In the book of Exodus, chapter 3, Moses is going by what is called the burning bush. And he had been going past this bush for years. And, and one day, Moses noticed something about this bush that he had gotten so used to, gotten so familiar with that it didn't do anything for him anymore. And then one day he noticed that the bush was burning and it was not being consumed. And Moses said to himself, I've got to turn aside to see this is strange. If something is burning, it should be consumed. The flames are there. And instead of the flames affecting the tree, the tree is standing. It continues to exist. It seems that instead of being burned, it is getting life. And immediately a voice came from the fire. By the way, not from the tree, from the fire. God, that's how God reveals himself in the Old Testament. Fire is a sign of his pleasure. And Moses heard a voice saying, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes 
for the place in which you stand is holy. Now let me, let me just say one thing here. No place is holy. A place becomes holy when God is there. Please remember that. No place is holy. No person is holy. But when God is there, God transforms that place so his presence can be there. And that makes it a sacred place rather than simply a place that is uh, there. And then God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And there is a reason for that. You will find this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And God said to Moses, when you go, tell Pharaoh that my people must be set free so that they can come to this mountain to worship me. I am releasing them from Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. A world that has us in captiveness, in blindness. The God of this world blinds the minds of people so they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And God said to Moses, I'm going to bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of the tyranny of sin. That's what Egypt typifies and they are going to come to this mountain, and they are going to come here. I'm releasing them so that they will worship me. So the question is asked, why do we exist as a church? His church, our church. We exist, my friends, to worship God. That sounds almost ordinary, doesn't it? We exist to worship God. So the question we must ask ourselves is, what is worship? Is worship simply singing songs, giving, having beautiful music, having an orchestra? Is that worship? No, those are the means by which we worship, but that's not worship. What is worship? The word worship in both Testaments, Old and New Testament, when translated into Greek, is a word means to prostrate, 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 to bow before, to lean forward, to kiss. What it is saying, you, you lean forward in recognizing. I, I noticed the other day, I was watching a piece of... Um, of uh, the U.S. tennis match. Of course, Canada was playing the U.S., and so I had to watch it, and we won't even talk about who won it. And Megan was there. Megan was in the stands. And I, I didn't recognize her. But I, well, I did recognize her, but I thought, what is she doing here? And I noticed, I found later on, that she was a friend of, of Serena. So she, she hopped on a plane from London to come. And when she was met, this gal who was an ordinary citizen a year and a half ago, when they met her, they bowed and curtsied to her because she's now a duchess. 
Well, my friends, worship is to bow before God. Now, there's something interesting about this word. This word that is this translated worship is only used in the New Testament when Jesus was on earth. It is used two other times in the Bible, and each time when it was used, they refused to take it because this word is designated only for someone who worships the true God. The next time this word is used and it is accepted is in the book of Revelation, when all the saints bow down before God. So worship is something that is exclusively God's and nobody else. That's what Jesus meant in the temptation. When, when the devil took him a high mountain and said, all this I will give to you if you worship me, Jesus said, be gone, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God alone. So that to, 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 to fall before any man is blasphemy and idolatry because this word of worship is reserved for God and God alone. What happens when we worship? These are the things that happen, my friends, in worship. There is the adoration of God's attributes. I become conscious of the, the, the glory of God. I become humbled by the glory of God. I am humbled by it. You look in the Bible, and the first thing that happens when a person is going to worship, take your shoes off. Again and again, Isaiah was humbled by the presence of God when he heard the creatures in heaven saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah said, when I heard it, I, I, I became like a dead man. I am humbled by, by the glory of God. My, my, my friends, you know, this, this is just, just a fact. One of the things that Americans do not do is that they do not bow down to any earthly potentate and I remember the first time, the first time Mr. Reagan, Ronald Reagan, met Queen Elizabeth. Everybody who meets Queen Elizabeth usually do the stuff. But as an American president, he stood. <laughs> you are not above me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't give allegiance to anyone in any other country. My country is my supreme source of who I am. And my friends, listen to what the Bible says in John 4. God is looking for worshipers. Can you imagine that? That God is looking for worshipers. What you do in this place this morning is important to God. And if you are, if you are humbled by his, his greatness, adore his person, 
It results in praise. It results in praise. You say with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. Because worship, you see, worship is not about me getting something from the place where I go to worship God. Worship is where I go to the place as a worshiper to continue to do in a practical, spiritual way what I have been doing for the last six days. Because worship has to do, my friends, not only with bowing down, but it has to do with service. St. Paul, St. Paul says this, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit. He's talking about his missionary journeys. He said, I serve God in my spirit. That, that word, serve, is a companion word of this word to worship God. So when you look in Romans chapter 12, that we yield our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Tomorrow morning, <laughs> tomorrow morning, when I, whatever I do, whether I come here or whether I go somewhere else, if I have another appointment, I go as one who is worshiping God so that the person and the name of God will not be blasphemed by anyone because of my inconsistency in the way I lived. Paul said this to the Romans, the name of God is blasphemed. God is looking for worshipers. And when you walk into this place to worship God, you know, if I may use my, my sanctified imagination, when you walk into this place, God says, welcome. Welcome. I've, I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. To adore him. I, I, I don't have I don't have written out prayers that I use. But but one the Archbishop of Canterbury in in nineteen forty nine. Someone asked the Archbishop, what is worship? And Archbishop Trent said, worship is the adoring God with all my nature, my whole being. It is to have his holiness to quicken my conscience. It is to have his word nourish my mind. It is to have my imagination purified by his beauty. It is to have my heart open to his will. It is to have my will submitted to his. All this put together in adoration is the cure for the chief sin of pride so that the sin of pride is destroyed when one truly worships God. Worship. Isn't it amazing that worship has become something? I, I, I sometimes... I, I, I have struggled with this. I have struggled with this. I go to some of the bigger churches and they advertise their service and they say, 
At this time, we have the traditional service. And at this time, we have the contemporary service. And I keep thinking, is it the service that determines who you worship? You can say, at this time we worship God, at this time and this time we worship God. Do I, have to, do I have to appeal to what kind of service I like that will make me worship? God said, I'm looking. I'm looking for those who worship me in two ways. Two ways. Those who worship me in spirit. Those, those who come into the place, the local place where we come to express ourselves to God. Those who worship me in spirit is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It is talking about our spirit. It, it, is, it is where the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, having transformed us, so that there is something taking place in me that I do not come into the house of God with the same kind of spirit that says, when is he going to shut up? How long will this go on? But where God is exposing himself to you in his love, his grace, his mercy, and something begins to happen to you inwardly, your spirit begins to love Jesus, and your spirit desires to want only to please him. That's, my friends, what takes place in worship. In spirit, the inner person. Now, you know me well enough to know that, that I, am, I am not an emotionally charged person. You know, I go to a baseball game and all the people get up and do their stuff. And I said, I came here to watch a game, not to exercise. <laughs> so I sit down and the person who goes with me exercises. And, uh, <laughs> but my friends, I'll tell you what I'm getting at. There is a sense in which we need to feel the joy of God in our spirits when we worship. There is a sense in which we need to have the sense, I am glad I am here because I'm experiencing in my inner person that which I do not experience when I'm at work because that is not the place of worship, that's the place of service. My service given to him pleases my mind that I'm pleasing him. But Sunday when I come, my spirit is stirred by him. And, and we used to sing a song when I first became a Christian several years ago. And I have a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And the kids used to say, where down in my heart and they go on. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can jump in the lake or something. I don't even know what it says. But, but my friends... If you, were, if you were, were arrested for being joyful in your faith, would there be enough evidence? Would there be enough evidence? Joy. The psalmist says, I am cast down in my soul, but I'm going to, I'm going to go to God who is my exceeding joy. Paul was in prison. In prison, and you know, he wrote to people who were outside, and you know what he said to them? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. 
Oh, dear friends, I long for it. I long that we will worship God in spirit. That when I look at your faces, I don't judge what's going on inside of you except by the glow of your face. No, no definition of worship should be defined without that. Let me say one thing. Worship is the believer's response to all that God is in, in mind, in emotion, in will. To all that God is and what God does. This is the response. This response has a mystical side to it, a subjective side. I am to feel my faith at times because faith is a living thing. It's not a dead thing. Not a dead thing. So God is looking for those who worship him in spirit. But he's also looking for those who worship him in, in truth. Because you see, spirit without truth is mere sentimentalism or emotionalism. Truth without emotions just gives you an empty information about facts without reaching its reality. So what does he mean in truth? Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 prayed this, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So my friends, the truth that it is talking about here is what God has revealed in his word about himself, about his world. Do you remember what, what the creature said in heaven? Glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You and I are to live in this world with the sense that there is, there is the presence of God. Can I, can I be so bold to say that when I am an I-5 and I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm leaving here at night and I get on the highway and I look, all of a sudden I can just see red lights. And I remember, I remember one time we had, after prayer meeting, Lois and I were going home, and she was still teaching. And, and I thought that night that I, was, I would wait and get gas on our way back. Well, we got on I-5, and as soon as I got on I-5, I thought, oh, no, this is a mistake. And, and we were just crawling, crawling, crawling on I-5. We left here at 7 o'clock that night and we got home at, I think, 2 o'clock in the morning. Just crawling. And I watched the gas gauge going this way. And I thought, oh my word, we could be in some trouble here. At that time, I didn't know that there were back ways you could take. I know now. <laughs> my mother used to say the first time is a mistake, the second time is stupidity. So I never, I never take it. The, I, I know what, what to do now. And there are times when I'm able to take other roads. But, but my, what, what am I getting at, friends? What, what God wants us to do is not to be driven by our emotions. And the first thought of my heart on that road was not, the Lord knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That was not the first time behind those red lights. You know what the first thought was? 
I hope we get off this road so I can get gas. <laughs> See, truth will keep me from breaking up under pressure. Truth will keep me with perspective on things. And the way that the word of God works in us is when we take it in and we meditate and we think of, of it and we embrace it and we obey it, God begins to do something in us so we have a different perspective on life from people who don't have the truth. You know, this, this assembly in New York, they're going to talk about climate change. Is, is that our biggest concern? My friends, there are pollutions taking place in some of our places in education that you'd be surprised. And that is what we're concerned about. Vegetables, that's not right. <laughs> Truth, my friends, let me quickly say this. Truth has two sides to it. It is personal. Jesus said, I am the truth. In other words, he was saying, he knows reality. I am the truth. Nothing that I say is false. Nothing that I say is inconsistent with who I am. To, to be personal, you have to speak in a way that you are believed because what you say is consistent with reality. And Jesus is consistent with reality. He says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Who, can, who offers that? Which other religious leader could offer that? When Jesus speaks, he doesn't speak in a way that confuses people. I'm going to tell you how he speaks. He speaks in a way that is hard for people to understand, but not confusion. Not confusion. When he spoke of marriage, the disciples says, well, who, could get, who should get married then? It was just so hard. When he says how a man can be saved, says it's easier for a man, for, for people to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And they said, well, then who can be saved? See, he speaks hard things. But he doesn't speak things that are confusing. Truth is personal. But truth is also propositional. Truth makes statements. Statements. Listen to what truth says. In the beginning, God created. That's a statement. And that statement, propositional statements, are verifiable. It can be proven that the world, in spite of what scientists have been saying for generations, it can be proven that the world did not evolve, that it came into existence because God spoke it into existence. Propositional truth says you should love one another as I have loved you. That's not a question. <laughs> I used to say, when my mother used to call us, it was not a request. When she called, it was a command. And you would soon find out if you did not respond. Listen, listen to Psalm 47 and verse 7. Sing praises with the understanding. Here's the beauty of why we exist. The songs we sing 
the song must express the truth of the, 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 the scriptures. It must say to you something, ah, yes, I see it now. Thank God for that. Because you, we can go to the scriptures for every song that we sang this morning, we could go to a verse of scripture and find it because it is based on God's revelation. Propositional truth. It's, it's, uh, it's not something we, we make up. We sing praises with the understanding. We are engaged in adoring God. And in preaching, the name of the Lord is made known and praise erupts in the hearts of those who hear it. God is looking for those who worship him in spirit, in their inner being, and in truth. So you have the subjective and you have the objective in worship. Let me quickly go. The second reason we exist is to know God. To know God. In John 17, Jesus is praying and he said, This is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is life eternal. Eternal life begins with a journey. And I begin to grow into my relationship. I begin to understand something of grace and mercy and peace and providence. I begin to grow Understanding that his burden is easy and it's light. I, I begin to go into the heart of Jesus and to discover something of what the capacity and the dynamics of his love is. I am growing. You know, we, we, we were downtown Salem yesterday. And um, my, my, my grandson stood beside me. And the boy is 16, and I was looking up in his face like this. I remember when I held him in his arms week after he was born. It would have been a tragedy, wouldn't it, if he had remained that little? But my friends, how many of us are not content to just stay at the point of being saved without knowing God? Without knowing God. Some of you know me. From the first time I came here a dozen years ago, a dozen years, yeah, a dozen years ago. Some of you are more acquainted with, with me and some of my likes and dislikes. You know some of the things I like. You know that one of my favorite things, not tenting. <laughs> you know that one of my favorite things, not eating liver. <laughs> but you know about me, you don't know me. You know who knows me? My wife, she can tell you whether I'm consistent at home or not. I, I can do anything in front of you and you will believe me because it's easy for a man to do that. But you can't do that where someone knows you in and out. Do you know God any closer today than you did the first time you trusted him? There is a wonderful pleasure, my friends. There's a pleasure if God is transcendent. It means that I can never exhaust my knowing God. Jesus Christ said, eternal life is to, is, is to continue a life that soars in the knowledge of God. Not simply information, but intimacy. God has put the church in place that they might know him. Let me quickly end 
we exist not only to worship God, not only to know God, we exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. You heard the text that Kathy read this morning? To Him be glory in the church. What does it mean to glorify God? It means that what we do is an expression and always points to Him who is the cause of what we do. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't begin horizontally. It begins vertically and it moves horizontally back to the vertical to the glory of God. So impressed with, was St. Paul with this whole passion of glorifying God. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, whether you sleep, or whether, do all to the glory of God. So, 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 my friends, what I'm getting at, we, we exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God in our singing, in our preaching, in our small groups. And, and as God leads us to develop other ministries, we exist to glorify Him in it, but we exist to let our light so shine before men outside of this, 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 this location. The students who are going back to school, going to college, let your light so shine before men. We exist to glorify God. We don't exist just for the sake of existing. May I close with these words which I borrowed from John Piper? The work of Christ's the work of Christ for the glory of God leads inevitably to the conclusion that God's purpose for his new redeemed people, the church, is that our life's goal should be to glorify God in Christ. Paul, in Philippians 1.20, says this, According to my earnest expectation that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but now, as always, Christ will be magnified, glorified in my life, whether by life or by death. Whatever it takes for me, the word glorify means to magnify, to make big, to expose as a glorious thing. And your faith and mine, as people who are a part of God's church, should be the fact that the, the grace of God operating in our lives, the very angels in heaven are affected by it, Ephesians 3.10, and our contemporaries are affected by it. We glorify God who is in heaven. Why do we exist? We exist to worship God. We exist to know God. We exist to glorify God. Next week, Lord's willing, what is our mission? What are we doing? Please pray and come. Let us pray. Oh God, sink these words deeply into our innermost being. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want you to be glorified. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, wake or sleep, we want to do all to the glory of God. And so, Lord, we take these few moments just to reflect upon what we have heard and to respond.
Thank you for hearing us, O oh God. Help us to be consistent with what we have committed ourselves to do. We ask again your blessing upon our students as they go. Make them shining lights for the glory of God as we keep their lights burning as we pray for them. Please release us now, Father, with the awareness of our purpose so that we will live it out to the glory of God in Christ's name. Amen.